0: look at you with glasses
1: yeah it's they're supposed to block the blue i can't oh yeah i I definitely see zero difference other than this annoying shit in my way from looking at stuff (laughs) plus Uh plus then also my face looks like this i just thought what what would be better than showing up in the show and looking ridiculous with glasses that I just don't ever wear. Makes
0: sense, well, right? It took me a while to get uh, over, like, reflections in the glasses. Like, when, I'm, when I've got lighting and I'm uh, on camera, that yeah. it, it was like, oh, that doesn't happen when I'm not wearing glasses. The, the truth is, I don't actually need to wear glasses while I'm doing this. Um, Uh glasses for me are distance. Like I can't see things far away, but up close it, it's totally fine. I can see perfectly when I take glasses off. So I could lose them, but I kind of like them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you suppose that we look smarter and like we know what we're saying now that we're wearing? I don't them?
0: know. I don't know about that. But I like I like my glasses. <laughs>
1: I think it looks like I am wearing glasses when I'm wearing glasses. And I have mm-hmm. no reason to. I thought, you know, uh, so it turns out there are all, all, these other buttons that one can press in the computer to take the blue out it's called the something button and so uh-huh. i've been using that on my phone the something button that is totally mm-hmm. what it's called and mm-hmm. i use it on my phone and my laptop uh yesterday i had a migraine that was probably from eating christmas cookies from my neighbors <laughs> they like knocked on the door and dropped them off what they did were, they like, put wrapped. in those cookies <laughs> there were the, like the like um little cute peanut butter with a chip like Hershey's kissing it and i ate two of them and the next morning i felt like i was hung over and i i had like a six hour like a massive six hour headache and uh i was trying to do what we do with the watching of the television i was like everything hurts and i was like well maybe i'll wear these ridiculous like blue light glasses that are supposed to it didn't um didn't help like i it seems as though they're slightly tinted yellowish, so it should do a thing.
0: Is it are they gunner glasses?
1: No, there's just some cheap, I don't know what.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe they suck. Maybe that's why they're not working. Maybe the <laughs> the gunner glasses are the real ones. I mean they're like a hundred and fifty bucks or something for those. Yeah,
1: I may have they might be twenty. Twenty bucks. What are they? Well, hey,
0: you wanna you wanna start the show?
1: Oh, do we do that?
0: I think we're we're good. We can start. <laughs>
1: Let's start a show.
0: All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Enlightened Couch Potato Show. My name is Nicholas Rave and this is...
1: Adrienne Gunn. And we are here to help you TV as deeply as you possibly can.
0: Uh, We like to say that our mission is uh, to explore the question, how to watch Movies and TV for Maximum Psychological and Spiritual Development. And what the way that we do that is uh, our show usually consists of us just uh, talking about the things that we've been watching and digesting and how we've been uh, leveraging those uh, as spiritual and psychological tools. So, Adrienne, what have you been up to? What have you been watching?
1: I am looking back to see in in my recent it'd been neat if I'd taken some notes and reminded myself I'm looking back in my recent like week to see if there's something that stood out as particularly healing now I know that in our last episode I I really did ju- just go super deep in a Grey's Anatomy hole for like we most like,
0: the whole show we talked about well, Grey's yeah. Anatomy <laughs>
1: So, um, and I was in there a long time. There are a lot, there's like 25 episodes per seasons prior to oh. right now. The, the, like, it's so fascinating to go back and forth between watching things that are like truly broadcast TV, like right now. Right. Broadcast TV right. Versus things that are a tight 10 or 13 episode yeah, arc. Yeah. Right. So. I was looking through my Netflix browsing history, and I'm like, I'm back in November. Like there were so many episodes, I'm like that's all I did. And it was a lot. And yeah. I feel a little bit better about life, not being trapped in a hospital. But then I was in that like void of not quite knowing what to watch. And yesterday, during my my epically six hour like like headache, I was abandoning so many things. There were there was a Meryl Streep movie that I don't even remember the t- Meryl Streep, Mia Farrow, and not Murphy Brown, because she has Candace Bergen, are in some movie where Meryl Streep's an author. Here's the premise. This reminds me a little of one of the things I was complaining about in Grey's Anatomy. The premise is this author, this esteemed author, is receiving an award from like other authors bestow this award. It's not even yearly. It's just like they just decide they need to, but she's afraid of flying. So they put her on a boat that takes two weeks to get from New York to like London or whatever. And so she brings her nephew and her two oldest friends, except for one of the friends she's got conflict with or something. I don't know. I'm like a half hour in and I'm fairly certain that this is one of those like non-scripted movies. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> none of the dialogue makes all that much sense mm. or is any good. And it's very, very slow. And I love myself a slow movie. Man,
0: but we can't I, like, all be winners, Meryl Streep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's lovely at being who she is in this movie. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. So I left that one. I did watch a wonderful movie, though. Susan Sarandon is okay i gotta tell myself what the heck this movie is called because i don't remember <laughs> but it's essentially in the the arc of my favorite style of movie which is sort of slow slow indie f- movie style like a, an ensemble film of like a family returns or a family gathers or people gather yeah for reasons and it's Mm -hmm. and then i'm in the my my favorite version of it if it's like sad bad reasons like the prodigal son fails epically and then comes back home Um, this particular one it is like it is the top of the crop family unites to help the mother kill herself whoa Yeah. oh my god
0: Wow.
1: So uh, Susan Sarandon's character has ALS, I believe. They don't specifically call it out. And she gathers her family for this one last, you know, she's like one of her arms doesn't work. And she's decided and she and her husband decide that they're going to like have a few days with the family that they chose to show up. And then she's going to drink something and then be gone. Oh, so good. So good. I got to remind myself what, th-
0: what it's called. That's Can we talk a little bit about why you find that kind of movie enjoyable? Because <laughs> I, I had an experience recently. Yeah. Uh, there's. This is multifaceted. So I, I brought up <laughs> a topic on my other podcast and um, uh, it didn't go great. <laughs> um and it 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 migrated from what I initially brought up to talking about like horror movies and sure. why I enjoy horror movies and yeah. um my co-host um did not share my sentiment <laughs> um rather emphatically um that uh he does not like that kind of thing at all and I don't yeah. think everybody needs to like any particular thing. Yes. And it, it did just make me think about why do people like what they like and why are some people like so I watched something recently. I love horror movies and we watched Krampus. Oh, I watched Krampus. Oh do you know what that
1: okay. is? Uh well that's
0: there's I mean you new... know what the mythology is but there's a movie some yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. It's delightful. It's yeah. really like kind of scary. It's PG13 but it's um it is not pulling punches. Um, and it is definitely a horror movie, but I loved it. I, I, it's the second time I watched it and it was even better the second time. My favorite Um,
1: lost girl episode is one of my favorite lost girl episodes is the Krampus episode because it's a Krampus episode and it's a Groundhog's Day episode.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, They had a little bit of that in the movie. I wonder if that's part of the Krampus legend of some sort. Um, maybe not. Um, This is with time. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I mean, not not too much spoilers, but um anyway, so um I love horror movies and I also found myself watching an interview recently with a guy who plays Santa Claus um professionally, <laughs> um, who has like like the full curly Q mustache and You can just tell that he's like, he's a deeply soulful person. And he tells a story about going into a hospital room with a little kid who was not going to make it to Christmas. Mm. And he said, well, that's not going to do. We're going to have to make sure that you have Christmas early. So I'm here and here's a present. And, and then the kid has a conversation with him, with him, which I will not spoil, but it was, So touching and then the kid dies in his arms whoa in the arms of santa claus and um the way that he communicates about what happened is so it's like an emotional roller coaster it's an emotional train wreck it's like getting hit with an emotional truck And he said that he got out of the room as soon as the parents and the paramedics came in and he said he literally ran. Um, There was so much emotion and so much energy. And he said, I cried for three days straight. I came home and I couldn't do anything. And um, I really enjoyed watching that video. It was touching and moving and powerful. And it made me think about it made me love more. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. what is going on there? Why is that? (laughs) And why do you like the story about a family coming together to help the mom commit suicide? And what, what, what do you think this is? Why do people have this like, like judgment about what other people, like I used to, my mom used to watch movies like that. And I was very judgy about it. And Mm -hmm. I was very like, what's wrong with you? Why do you watch these depressing movies? but i'm i'm not that anymore i really think there's wisdom in everything people are drawn to totally so some chunks of what's
1: beautiful about these kinds of movies for me and even just the you haven't seen num but there are these there are these movies where you catch somebody really cut off from themselves or completely depressed and it's just like stark and beautiful and slow and they go from like awful to just slightly better and i'm like yeah, it's the best movie ever so i some of the deal of the, the ensemble family thing is when i was younger and had more family that I was sort of required to see they were really challenging people to be around mm-hmm. uh, the whole just like dysfunctional christmas says because there was just not one event there were like three to four of them depending on the year and a lot of them were really really hard there's alcoholism and mental illness and trauma and abuse and incest and horror shows going on in my family and everybody's got like a big personality so one of the things that's great is right now i have like two parents I have other people I'm related to. I don't have any requirements to be around anyone. So I have just a lot of space uh, and levity around holidays and stuff that I don't even have to do them. So what like dropping in on other people's family stuff, I get to sort of giggle about it because it's not my current reality. So, but, and I deeply relate to all of these hard challenging places that people have been in. And for a bunch of my years, Maybe until recently, last six to 10 years, I was dealing with a lot of depression in my life. So whenever I get to see these movies drop into the truth, these moments of just real stuff, people can't walk in. They just they don't have the ability to carry on with the artifice. Hmm. that that a lot of the world keeps us in like showing up and doing the dance of i don't know dumb bullshit surface level conversations when when the movie just already strips away all that bs and pretense and drops you into this is pretty much the realest moment you're going to have and you're going to mm, treasure it and remember so that it.
0: experience of that real moment that's the thing that you yeah. are like ooh, if somebody can craft a story where it takes me to that place that is like fulfilling for you
1: yeah well and you can't the, those those moments in life where you're you're either going crazy or you've hit rock bottom or someone's died or someone's about to die it sort of it strips away a whole lot and 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 the and worlds get kind of more vibrant yeah time slows down in a kind of way yeah and it's somewhat universally understandable
0: these mm-hmm.
1: bits of time and there when when a filmmaker can capture the truth of that and deliver it and just like say it in a line One of my very, very favorite moments of truth that's captured is in this movie, Myth of Fingerprints, which is one of my favorites. And it's one of these things where the son returns home and it's kind of sad. And we don't know what we don't quite know what the um, conflict is, but he's been away. It's Noah Wiley returns home and his sister, Julianne Moore plays a sister, and she's talking about. She's just deeply unhappy. You can tell. And there's this scene where she's talking about the phone in her office rings and she reaches out to pick it up. And then she's searching the desk and then sees her own like name plaque because in that moment She's forgotten who she is and what she's supposed to say right then. And the way she delivers this scene, I'm just like, I know. It's sometimes life is so fucking that and her her state and her like the, her physiology and her like, and it that moment is the explanation for who she's been in the entire mm. movie. And that moment in the movie, just made my whole life for a minute. Mm. Just that somebody found the way to capture that kind of desperate loss
0: of self. Well, it seems like, it seems like when you see something that's so personal to you represented truthfully on screen that you feel seen yeah. Even though you're the one seeing something that you're like, oh, that resembles me. Yeah. So I guess I'm not totally clear what I get out of horror movies. But I, I guess that the chunk up here is trust what you like
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and don't let other people yuck your yum. <laughs> um, if there's something you really like, like it with yeah. as much gusto as you can muster, trust that there is something inside of you that is guiding you to this thing and saying, and if we sit there and we judge it and we say, Oh, this is bad, or I shouldn't like this, or I'm ashamed of this, you're kinking the hose. Right. You're not getting everything you could be getting out of it. Um,
1: <laughs> I imagine I'm not alone. I am the first human I've heard, Declare the love for these kinds of Oh like, I'm sure movies. you're
0: not I, I'm sure there are many other people That would say Oh my god I'm, I, I'm exactly the same way Or I also love those movies But for a slightly different reason um, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I'm still I have a friend that has I've been trying to get her To jot down She's got this community She's been um, Connected to And I'm like that's totally a movie like, like they can always show up at the same time in the summer and hang out at this, like, you know, like house and stuff. Some people have these, she's got such a cool story. I'm like, oh, and it's like, and I've outlined that here's, here's what happens. So if there, if anybody's going to this place that families go to, so there's always someone who's invited, who was, who, who's. Brought that didn't need to be there. Someone's always having an affair and then somebody's always leaving a job or something. And then this happens and then people connect. It's like, Oh, does this happen? She's got real life stories of this. And I'm like, okay, this is totally a movie. Let's write it. Let's make it happen. Um, Cause that's one of my favorites too, is like friends gather big chill is one of these friends gather mm. at the place where they always gather and they catch up mm. with each other. And maybe someone's dying. Have you seen yeah. a big chill? Is that, one of the movies in your... Who's in it? I think it's... Wow. It's Kevin Klein. I think Jeff Goldblum's in it. Uh,
0: I think like I have, those- but I really can't remember it. I, as soon as you said um, Jeff Goldblum, I was like, yeah. But I it's, it's getting confused with several other movies. Like,
1: I think even Jennifer Tilly is in it.
0: Like A Fish Called Wanda and... Um, yeah. And get shorty keep coming to mind, and I can't separate it from those, <laughs> and I know it's probably not the same kind of movie, yeah. but um, anyway, Kevin Klein is yeah. the best um you watched a classic movie I did, yeah, we can keep this brief um a couple <laughs> weeks ago, we watched the jerk um and the main takeaway that I had this time was I had heard somewhere that this story was uh either intentionally or unintentionally but i i heard that it was on purpose that steve martin wrote the jerk as a um a film um adaptation around the tarot card the fool oh the archetype of the the fool i love that Um, that makes sense and another movie that often gets brought up when people are teaching tarot archetypes is um Being There. Do you know that movie? Funny. Peter Sellers. It's a classic.
1: Hmm. I don't know if I've seen that. It's possible I have.
0: Um back. Yeah, there's definitely a similarity although the jerk is more is, is funnier, I think, and and more edgy, but um yeah, I mean he's just he's f- Freaking hilarious! Um, I love that uh, that it's this simple story of like a person going out on their adventure, but it's just it's like a funhouse mirror version of the thing. Everything's just whack doodle, and um, it's so bordering on surreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know,
1: coming to America is not that different.
0: Uh, it's
1: that like fish out of water coming of age trying to find your special purpose or sow your seeds
0: the humor is much more accessible (laughs) than the jerk like the jerk was was hard for me the first time i watched it when i was a kid i was like i don't i don't get this is this funny and like now watching it i'm like oh my god this is amazing um but um yeah. And it did help me to start looking for like deeper symbolism around the, the concept of the fool. And I, boof, anybody uh, well-versed in the tarot, please forgive me. I'm going to do a terrible job here. <laughs> um, but the, the fool is the beginning and the fool is represented by the number zero. And um, typically if the card is, is drawn correctly, quote unquote, um, he's, uh, he's looking up, um, but he's about to step off a cliff. Um, and, um, he's holding all of his, uh, uh, his, um, belongings, which isn't very much. And then there's a little dog, which is, I think supposed to represent the unconscious mind, like biting at his heels. Um, and yeah, (laughs) shithead. Exactly. Um, (laughs) so there's this idea that the fool is necessary for any journey, because if you did, if you knew everything you were going to have to go through on your journey you wouldn't go and so every great adventure every adventure worth going on necessitates a fool to go on it um and i love that idea
1: not in joseph campbell is it
0: maybe i'd never heard campbell talk about the tarot specifically
1: well right but just this idea of the the level of, of foolishness or or innocence that one needs to be on before they even embark on a journey. Oh, no, definitely.
0: He talks about that for sure. Yeah. He talks about the, the naivete of the hero and how that is why he has to go on the journey because he has all these lessons that he needs to learn that he doesn't know that he doesn't know. Um, And in that sense, he's ignorant and he's a fool and going on the journey is the thing that will transform him into someone who is wise. And, and the, the my favorite interpretation of the of tarot is that it's not meant to be first. It's definitely not meant for divination or predicting things, but that one way to look at it is that it's a book with pages that can be put in any order, mm-hmm. and and it, the book tells a different story depending on how you put the pages together. And the standard one is zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And there's like twenty six um, major arcana, I think. If I'm getting that number, right. I could be wrong. Um, but it, but the, the primary story, the, the main one where the numbers just go up is the journey of the self. It's the journey. It's your journey of personal evolution. Sure. Everyone's journey of personal evolution, which is also the journey that Joseph Campbell talks about and is also the journey that we talk about that resonates in stories when we, when it's your story, um, So, yeah, I liked watching the jerk with that frame (laughs) of um, this is like I I gave somebody the advice recently talking about enlightened couch potato that um, watch this movie and pretend that it contains all the secrets of the universe.
1: Oh, nice. Brilliant.
0: And the and they got it. I made them watch The Wizard of Oz and I was like, watch this movie and pretend that if you studied it hard enough that there are secrets put in here and they had to keep them secret. Like other people don't get to know this, but you can find them. What are they? And like that idea that anything contains all the secrets of the universe, because if you study anything hard enough, at some point, the only thing you're looking at is you. That's Mm -hmm. why in Zen, they say all the secrets of the universe are in a blade of grass. Not because The Blade of Grass is special, but because if you look at anything long enough, at some point, the only thing you're staring at is you.
1: Yeah. What I love about The Jerk is having that be one of – it was a pretty important movie in my childhood. Many of my Mm. friends, we rewatched it together. We we were saying a lot of the stuff together. I don't fully remember them. Like since you told me that you watched the jerk, I've had the like I'm buying a nana for you, but I don't know if it's a thermos or something for two. It's a something else though. I don't think it's thermos. I know that my like my dad and I would yell at each other when we were mad. I don't need anything. Just put this lamp, <laughs> but just this lamp and this I mean, chair. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So that was just those those lines. You know, I grew up a poor black child and the then, And that's a
0: lot cool. you, shithead. That's one of my favorite lines. Then <laughs> the dog jumps in the bath.
1: Yeah. It's uh, funny in the movie I watched, uh did I tell you what it was? Blackbird. In Blackbird, they sing the same song that is the duet in that.
0: <laughs> I adore that moment in that movie yeah. when it's just this weird thing and then all of a sudden they're singing this beautiful song and it's so sweet and and then she pulls out the trumpet <laughs> and my brain explodes <laughs> cuz it's like it's funny and everything's funny up till then. And then they start singing this song. And you're like, oh, this is nice. And then they lull you into a sense of like, wow, it's a really good rendition of this. What the fuck is she doing with a trumpet on the beach? <laughs> it's so good.
1: Yeah. So one of the things, <laughs> recognizing that Steve Steve Martin plays such a ridiculously wacky dude since forever. Yeah. And then recognizing that he's pretty fucking smart uh, oh, yeah. and interesting. Like I've read some of his books. Yeah. He's a fucking genius. Yes. And I think I think I was aware that comedians are smart and not actually that funny In life, that they're not generally quite serious, Mm. but they know what to do with their intelligence in Mm. their comedy. Mm -hmm. I think I understood that before I recognized. Wait, Steve Martin's actually kind of brilliant. When did that happen? And it was prior to like his bluegrass career, which he's good at. And I just love how smart his ridiculousness is. Yes, he's very aware of what moments to play and how far to push them, and the willingness that he had to just be the butt of his own jokes for so long for the pleasure of the rest of us. I'm just yeah. thrilled.
0: Did you read born standing up? Not yet. I have it. Do I have it? That, that was his autobiography. Yeah. Um, father- I read it. He's quoting. I, I loved it. It's wonderful. I mean, one of the things that he says about his comedy philosophy is that he said, I wanted to figure out a way to make people laugh and for them to oh, like distinctly and consciously have the thought, I don't know why I'm laughing. And he said that was one of the like central intentions of his um, style of comedy was that he wanted to make people he wanted to put the punchline in the wrong place. Yes, And he wanted to like fuck with the format. I love that. And I mean I I think Steve Martin is in some ways like a more accessible uh Charlie Kaufman or Andy mm-hmm. Kaufman, Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Um that they're they're both these like committed to the art and the craft. Um but Steve Martin was maybe a little less crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, that thing you say, like I think some comedians like Robin Williams I think was very good at at like just turning it on, um mm-hmm. and and being funny in in a life situation. I've heard Eddie Murphy is like that too. That like a, a lot of comedians will say the funniest, the hardest they've ever laughed was hanging out with Eddie Murphy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but Steve Martin strikes me as like I don't know how funny he is in person, but. <laughs> Like when you're just hanging out, maybe maybe he and Steve Martin are fucking or Steve Martin, uh, Martin short are fucking hilarious together (laughs) when they're like joking around. Yeah. But I, I wonder if Steve is quite serious and then he, his comedy is a tool. Like, right. I don't know.
1: I do recall reading Anne he's autobiography a while back. And she and Steve had been together. Uh, bunches of years ago and it does it does seem like he's a far more serious dude yeah in life than than you might expect
0: yeah yeah that's what I wondered um, but that there is a depth of intelligence to his silliness but I really like that kind of comedy um, Eddie Izzard oh my fits God. into that to me in a like he's so silly and he's so smart and that intelligence is infused into the silliness and it, it's like it's a silliness that gives you permission to be silly when you also think you're smart. Yeah. Like, did I tell like, you like, I oh, I kept, uh, in person?
1: Like live. I went to one of his shows live. A friend took me. Yeah. And I have seen bits, like some bits of his stuff, like over the shoulder of my dad as I was yeah. passing through some room or something. And, but never watched a whole thing. Oh, and his comedy show was like almost three hours of him on yeah. stage. Yeah. It was about two more hours than I needed. And <laughs> he's such a fire hose. He's very like yeah. Robin Williams. He's a fire yeah. hose. He's very energetic. His his brain, even when he's not on his written, he just like goes off on his own tangents and cracks yes. himself up, and then he finally gets back to the thing. But but his comedy requires remembering shit from stuff they don't teach yeah. in the schools in the US like i had to yeah. take specific area studies and humanities courses none of my other like he doesn't, doesn't roll, dumb stuff down <laughs> no and 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 he's like and some of the punchline is like inserting here's some bit of history i'm inserting wrong response to that this is not what happened i've now i'm grabbing some other thing from history and i'm smacking them together yep. and i'm just like hmm, okay no yeah, no okay i think that's funny no i get that one i remember did, this did Holy you know God. he
0: does shows did you know he does shows in three different languages yeah yeah like comedy in multiple languages has got to be one of the weirdest things because it's so much about inflection and timing and delivery and accent that culture to yeah culture, culture yeah, culture, yeah. So, and and especially his jokes right yeah. like there are some jokes that i could imagine being translated easier but for him to actually figure out how to do almost a different show in three different lang- he's you know, he's a freak i mean yes. that it as the biggest compliment i can imagine you know about his running
1: i think he was doing those like super massive ultra marathons like the
0: 50 mile i don't remember track. exactly what it was but it was something like he ran a marathon he ran um he ran like 38 marathons in 40 days yeah or something like that and and he had never Exercised by running before this. He <laughs> got like one of the best running trainers in the world, running coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the guy who wrote Born to Run and um learned how to run correctly and then just pushed himself. I mean, that is a level of will yeah. that boggles the mind. I just um, remember I mean, now. Okay. That's that's the point, is like he he had a cause that he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna do this. Yeah, I just
1: remembered now that Eddie is now she.
0: Um. Oh, she. Yeah. Uh, I didn't or remember it that because. Or has never been
1: she because.
0: Yeah, I don't know. He, he she has um been very open about executive transvestite for a number of years, so uh so yeah, I didn't hear that specifically.
1: Well, we're on it. I had notes many many weeks ago to talk about. Remember when I was very curious. So the actor who had been Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. Yes. And months and months ago, I was watching some of their work and really confused about why they're always wearing the same shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do remember this. I
1: don't know if this new information, you know, elucidates any of that. It's still weird to play multiple roles in different, different yeah. shows and movies. And still wear this like boxy.
0: I've never didn't make any seen sense to me as a costume. any actor, regardless of gender. Say that's what I'm. <laughs> that's in my rider. If I take this character, I get to wear my own shirt. <laughs> right. And
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so multiple. You know. Elliot's playing multiple characters and all these different things and they seem to wear the same outfits and that's very confusing to me even when they are in the 50s they've suddenly time traveled and they still have (laughs) access to the item like I I'm still very curious how that's working and I just thought I'd bring it up just in case anybody gets upset at me for whenever they watch that show they're like it's Elliot Page and I'm like that hadn't happened yet but the uh,
0: It's still the my point still stands.
1: (laughs) I still don't understand what costume designer made that choice, or if they were like no choices, bring your own, wear whatever you want. Great, my character is gonna always wear this boxy shirt, this giant three sizes larger than I am shirt.
0: (laughs) All right, we were going to talk about Star Wars. That's truth. Uh, Do you want to
1: start? so right now Mandalorian is the current Star Wars thing that people are excited about. So I I watched it. I started watching when Disney Plus. It was like the first thing they released, right?
0: Yeah, one of.
1: So, okay. Mandalorian uh seems to be about a sect of human types who are trained with a with a uh an, an ethos and they wear indestructible armor that's important and they never take off their helmets there's just in this universe there's this maybe it was a planet where there's these people so we find but they're no longer around for some reason and there's this mandalorian who is now a bounty hunter Going off into the world, doing, being paid to do the things that bounty hunters do. They find people and things, Hunting and they bounties. Aid, <laughs> bring in stuff. And that's where the story starts. Now, I this show seems to be very in the style of space western, very western. I think there are hints of kung fu ness going on so western meets kung fu and there's there's a lot of crossover anyway in westerns and kung fu a little bit they're sort of like paying homage to each other at this point there's a thing that i'm i've just been very curious about that only one person's had an idea of like how she watches star wars stuff to help me so so there's a thing that no matter which star wars thing i've watched takes me out of the experience and I don't enjoy them as much as I could hmm. and I'm 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 looking for the primer or the, the pre-frame that will allow me to enjoy it because I when I the first three Star Wars films I was really little when I watched them and I just didn't watch them again but I got them enough that Spaceballs was awesome but I don't like there's no ethos here about that might any be of the part stuff. of your
0: problem <laughs> <laughs> That's so, like getting to know the Weird Al version of a song before you actually heard the original
1: Well, but I watched the ones before I watched Spaceballs I was just so little
0: That's what I mean, is like you didn't have enough to like fall in love with that story And go on the emotional journey Yeah um, And that before you got it like satirized So here's
1: a curiosity I have And where you and I are, were both caught up with the whole season I don't know if we're going to do spoilers or not
0: So I want to talk spoilers
1: there. There seem to be some pretty main substantial characters. And then as the adventures go on, you get a new planets, you go to new worlds, you go to new cities or towns or whatever in the planets. And then there's these like little characters. And I have a sense. It seems like the little characters. Nick Nolte is one of these. Amy Sedaris is one of these. Like they're pretty. They're pretty like well-rounded developed characters, a personality, they're like they have emotional arcs and things. They're like they're pretty like juicy and fascinating. Whereas the 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 main uh, more elevated in status characters for some reason, and even if I'm watching other stuff in Star Wars things, the people I'm supposed to care about the most have the least amount of like emotional depth or facial expression. There's something that's happening where I'm very confused because it just seems to me to be bad acting. Hmm. It reads to me as bad acting, but it keeps universally happening. So I keep wondering like, what am I missing in this world that seems to be very consistent? And here's the episode that really pulls it out. So Rosario Dawson is in, I think episode six of season two. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the first bit of the episode, she's just like lightsabering, killing people. And she has this scene where she's talking to maybe a magistrate. These two people has no facial expression, super stiff delivery of everything she's saying. And everything coming back to her is super stiff delivery of the people she's talking to. And I'm just like, why is this so bad? Why, <laughs> why is we are actors saying words that are very important and here we go in the thing yes you are a person saying a thing and i'm like what the fuck and then a couple scenes later the same rosario dawson is full of emotions she's talking to the baby yoda thing and has full range i'm like yeah yeah because rosario dawson is a person who has skill sets what the fuck happened what is different And so a friend, I started asking in the internet world, like, what? Can someone tell me something that explains the semi-weirdly? Because Katie Sackhoff's character, episode or two before, also was, but she's also weird. She talks funny like Chris Evans. They always, she sort of, she stands really straight. She's amazing posture. Whoever she's playing, she has too much articulation. And that's a her thing. Hmm. But so I'm watching, okay, maybe that's just a Katie thing. And then we get to this episode with Rosario, who's like stiff and weird, seems like bad acting. And then suddenly she's like, oh my God, she's emoting with the cat connection. I'm like, so what the fuck is in the universe that I don't get? And my friend was like, well, I always approach watching Star Wars as if I'm watching some sort of like, like something set in like feudal Japan um, or some something in the... She said something of, like, and it wasn't Victorian era, but I don't remember. She said something else British some time period. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out, okay, so there's these these giant religious sects. There's this resistance and this empire, and these are large structures with dogma that's important that might have some sort of um, etiquette that no one handed me a manual of like, oh, nudge, nudge. These people are from this like strict, tight, something, something. And all I remember is just this really long, you read the it scans. And I'm like, do they say, oh, this is a really strict thing and no one's allowed emotions and everybody has to stand. There's a formality that usually, like, I don't, I don't know what it is. But it takes me out of the thing because nobody's explained it to me.
0: Well, I think there's two ways to approach the explanation. I think one is within the universe and one is without the universe, like, mm-hmm. like from the storytelling, like movie making perspective. Okay. So from, from outside the, 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 the story universe itself, I, I think it partly relates to e, the thing we've talked about about Keanu Reeves. And our, mm-hmm. our theory that I think we're in agreement that Keanu Reeves actually is a good actor, he is just applying his acting skills to being a blank slate. Okay. Because that is what um, uh, the protagonist leaves the most room for people to pers- to project themselves onto that character and their own experience. Um, and it's, it's one style of storytelling because obviously you can have, um, you know, t- Tony Stark is not a blank slate completely although he's not a super fleshed out character he became more fleshed out as the series went along um so i think part of it's part of it's that um so from within the universe did you ever hear ewan mcgregor complaining about acting in the prequels and he said um how much he (laughs) disliked playing a jedi And he said the reason is because in order to play a Jedi the way George says you're supposed to play a Jedi, you can't be surprised by anything um, because they have – they can see the future. Sure, okay. So they have worked to become like a monk of some sort. It's a different religion. It's not exactly Buddhist, but it is a samurai kind of thing. And the feudal Japan is a great idea. It's like this is not this universe. They are not – Behaving the way we would normally expect. Mm-hmm. Now, with Rosario Dawson, I think that's the explanation. I think Jedi are not supposed to be emotional. They've actually yeah. spent time working to not have strong emotions. Um, with, uh, with the Mandalorian himself, um, Pedro Pascal, my, one of my big takeaways is one of my favorite things about the show is his physical Uh, embodiment of that character. I think his acting through his body is unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. Um, The way he conveys um, subtle emotions and thoughts through no facial expression whatsoever. I'm just like, that's amazing to me. But I I mean, I get, I mean, it sort of goes back and forth. Some of the acting is way over the top and some of it is way subdued.
1: And it seems to be a status thing. There's something very consistent about it because your side characters who are poor people just on some random, you know, planet somewhere, they're not in charge. They seem to have a, a broad range of expression and who they're being. This is what I'm noticing in The Mandalorian, at least. Yeah.
0: Well, it's also like the straight man in the comedy like sidekick there's there's got to be a foil what the comedy foil is the term right there's got to be somebody to antagonize the 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 straight like that person if everybody was just like mando in the story there would be no nothing would be interesting
1: well that's the that's where i'm at because uh okay i don't know everybody's like name name so carano's character Mm -hmm. she's she's got a little snark because she's left She's rebelled and left, right? Right, whatever she was, Star Trooper, whateverness. yeah, there's not there's a lot a to do snark, with her character, but she's yeah. also sort of more of a stale delivery of like yeah. a stiff delivery. And then the guy, the Bill Burr,
0: guy, was one of my favorite, um, recurring characters in the show. He was he had a personality phenomenal, personality. yeah. Um, yeah. the
1: other guy, who's the black guy? What's his name? I don't remember his name. The actor, the, the villain, no, 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 no not, well. Him too, he's weirdly stiff. Oh, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers also is a little bit, I don't know his, like there was consistent kind of stiffness between Carl Weathers, like all of the people who were fighting and not being comic characters. So when you look at the
0: original trilogy though, when you think about like Han Solo, is he that way? Like, I Well, here's
1: the thing. I want to go watch them, but I Mm. want to like it. Mm. So I'm like, okay, Feudal Japan. I want somebody to tell me one explanation is just that, like, George Lucas had had people do a thing, and now everybody's paying homage to that. Um, So if somebody could, like, give me a framework where I can go, like, okay, so that I can I, go back and watch those and enjoy them and not think, this is
0: kind of bad. I, I just, I think, I'm, I'm wondering if your sense of The Mandalorian is... Is like you're taking things that you've experienced in the Mandalorian and maybe some of the other Star Wars and you're applying it to all of Star Wars because I think the prequel trilogy Uh definitely did what you're talking about. I don't think the original trilogy did it as much, although I know that Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi, did not like the way that George made him say his lines because George was like, No, you need to say it flatter. I need you to be like nothing, like no, like just say the line like this. Because he wants him to feel like this disconnected, right risen above it sort of knight. Um, and he doesn't want him to be engaged. And Alec Guinness was like, This is and Awen McGregor said the same fucking thing. He was like, This is so boring because as a character you don't have emotional uh, ups and downs um so they may be paying homage to that but the rest of the characters weren't like that except when Luke then becomes a Jedi, right. then he goes into Jabba's palace and he says, you will bring Captain Solo and the Wookiee to me. And he's very flat. And that's, that's the powerful Jedi thing is uh, you can't get a reaction out of me.
1: And that's one um, man's version of what enlightenment looks like, having never seen the Dalai Lama giggle with right. Desmond Tutu.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Luke's... Got, like, George Lucas... Bastardized much of the deep philosophy that Joseph Campbell was illuminating in his work, and yeah. um, and I have long said that there are some elements to Star Wars, the, the the philosophy of Star Wars, that are actually deep and profound. But it is also George Lucas, who's a filmmaker, not a philosopher, right. um, like. He screwed some of it up like he makes people afraid if you if you adhere like, okay, I'm going to be a Jedi. I'm going to collect everything that they've said in all the movies and I'm going to create a religion, which is a real thing, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, People have totally done that. And it's a religion in Europe, I believe. (laughs) So um, if you want to be a Jedi, fear is the enemy. Hate and anger are the enemy. You have to fight them. And right. what you and I have both learned is that that does not work. Like no. if you fight fear, you make it bigger. If yes. you try to resist anger and hate, you will um, you will give them power and they will only grow more powerful over you. And anger um, and is
1: ridiculously useful and productive. And and when you when
0: in the right context, yeah,
1: can utilize it as it's mm-hmm. supposed to be used as, a, as an agent of movement mm-hmm. and change. It is fucking powerful. Mm hmm.
0: So there's a lot in star Wars that I think like we resonate with, or I did when I was a kid and there was like, I wanted to be a Jedi and it's, it's what drove me on a lot of my philosophical journey. But Mm -hmm. then I just had to, at some point go, Oh, this is a movie. (laughs) And (laughs) while there may be secret spiritual truths in it that are helpful, Mm -hmm. there's some of them that are not accurate um, or, or as useful. Um, yeah, so uh as far as like how to enjoy Star Wars. I mean, well I
1: want to go watch it and just jump in. I I, I want to find the state to be gleeful and like allow knowing more that uh, uh, that especially George Lucas is t- it's been weird for me cuz I know a lot of these actors I've seen him on other things and I'm like mm-hmm. where did your canvas go? It's very mm-hmm. starkly obvious to me mm-hmm. when I But w- it's on
0: purpose. I think I think it might yeah. help for you to go, "Oh, no, So what would a character who acted like this be like, like if there was a person who was this way, what would they be like? Um, That's part of the frame Mm -hmm. Um, is like, instead of going, they wouldn't act that way going. Well, if someone did act that way, why would they act that way? Where would that come from?
1: When I was attempting to figure out what, what universal force is happening that creates that sort of structure for this is how people are with each other, uh, when they're engaging. And so like, cause it, as an actor, I'm trying to figure out if, if, if somebody's the job as an actor is saying, if I say this thing and do this thing, and these are the responses, what, what aspects of my life have, have, have uh, played their part to, to make this the, the most obvious next thing that I do or say. Right. Yeah. Another part of it. Motivation.
0: Yeah. Another part of it that might be confusing for you. And for a lot of people is there's a lot of backstory that they're assuming that some people know. Um, so uh, Rosario Dawson's character, for instance, yeah. Um, Ahsoka, has been around for like six seasons of different TV shows and she's had a ton of character development and she was a young Padawan Jedi learner. She was an apprentice when she started and she was a teenager and she was wild and brash and emotional. And part of, I think Rosario's, um, portrayal was intentionally meant to be a contrast to what she's been through Uh and how mature, how much she's gained in maturity Um, and for her to be like, I'm not going to get angry with the magistrate, but I will be emotional with the little baby. um, That, that is I think her showing that she's not the hot headed teenager that she was in the other thing. And if you've seen the other stuff that would make sense. And otherwise you have to kind of infer that. Totally. Well, I I
1: appreciate that's probably tons of stuff that's going on like i didn't even know where we were in the timeline of this universe until the ending of the second season
0: yeah and you're like oh uh apparently he's still the same age so that's when it is <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and also i think boba fett is probably important
0: yeah can well uh, can i can i go off on a tangent and i would love then we that we gotta wrap this up yeah so I had an experience. I have uh, adored this show, like, in, in, in spite of myself. Like, I am so frustrated with Star Wars because it, it was my favorite movie series growing up. By far, there was no comparison. I was I, – I read the novels. Like, I was a teenager reading, like, grown-up – grown-up – adult novels about Star Wars, and I had an entire bookshelf full of these things. Nice. And I, I was a super geek. I, I went to – My son's birthday party two years ago. They for the for it was a Star Wars themed party, and for the grownups, they put on a trivia contest, and (laughs) they made me stop playing before it was over because no one else could get a question right. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not proud of this. I'm just saying it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maybe a little. Maybe a little. (laughs) Um. Well, no, that's part of why you just need to know this for me to understand. Why I have been so burned and disappointed by Star Wars because I really think that uh, it it let's just say it this way no one until Mandalorian has okay. got what I like about Star Wars and tried to do that
1: totally okay. and
0: the Mandalorian has done it so well that every little bit of fan service which there's a lot totally works for me I mean there's shit you have. No idea how deep it is like there's a scene in the first season when a bunch of stormtroopers show up and they get off of this like drop ship. Uh So that drop ship was a toy that the first year, 1977, when Star Wars came out, there was uh, a Mattel or whoever fucking made the toys. I don't remember. There was this drop ship thing that they showed in a commercial or it was in an advertisement and you couldn't buy it you could you could see it and all the toys were in it and everybody was like i want to get the thing to put my guys in and they didn't make it and they never made it and oh. they put it in the movie they put it in the show just for the hardcore fans to be like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um, it's you have no every single episode has shit like that and it's nice. i could go on and on and on and on about oh my god you see that ah! And it's, like, Dave <laughs> Filoni is a genius at treating this thing with respect. And, like, I don't care that it's spoon-feeding me exactly what I want. I'm like, please, keep going because you're nailing it. <laughs> now, I will say, I had an experience that is relevant to The Enlightened Couch Potato because mm-hmm. for the first time, I got way brought out of the story. Oh. And we have to talk about spoilers in order to discuss this. All righty. So I am now working to try to retroactively be able to change the way I responded to the finale of season two because I did not like it. Oh. Um, And I didn't like it for several reasons that I have now been, I went and watched Kevin Smith's uh, interview afterwards because he always breaks down stuff like this. And he he is so good at, the thing that we teach, which is turn off the critical judger and enjoy it. totally. And exactly. my judger got fucking like activated. And I was like, it almost ruined the whole show for me. Ooh. And I'm like, no, I refuse to let one thing that I, that I didn't like at first ruin something that I have gotten so much joy and pleasure from. And I want to figure out how to flip this.
1: Yeah. Well. So, it's an interesting and potentially triggering ending.
0: Yeah. So the issues that I had with it were a couple things. Um uh, on uh, on the one hand I thought it was it was very cool to see oh so spoilers moving Here. forward. Yes. So um if you watch the show the whole thing is about they're trying to find a safe place to send baby Yoda which if you don't know who baby Yoda is you've been living under a rock. Um so uh <laughs> It ends up being Luke fucking Skywalker shows up at the end of the show and they de aged Mark Hamill. Was actually Mark Hamill, by the way. Yeah. Um, and there's a part of me that is like, I see the parallel between this scene of him like badassing his way through all these robots in the hallway as being a reverse to the scene in Rogue One. Did you see that? So there's a scene at the end of uh, at the end of this show called Rogue One with Ray. Where, uh, what? No, Is it?
1: no, no. Okay.
0: Rogue One was a prequel to the original very first Star Wars. It's okay, like what yeah. happened right before that. So there's a scene when Darth Vader, they were basically like, we've never really seen Darth Vader be a bad motherfucker. Like, he's supposed to be, like, a force of nature. He's supposed to be terrifying. And we've never really seen that. So mm-hmm. they have this scene in a hallway where he just mows down, like, 15 freaking guys. And it's terrifying and awesome. It was my, one of my favorite parts of that. That actually made the whole mythology better. Because then when you see Darth Vader show up in the very first Star Wars movie, you're like, oh, my God, he's threatening. And he doesn't yeah. just look threatening. Yeah. So to have Luke do this same thing and to be like, oh wow, like he has come full circle. And um even the parallel of uh Vader was killing humans and Luke was killing robots, right. um and and seeing him in that outfit again and seeing this the the X-wing, all this stuff I like and I know why they did it. Like, I really think the reason why they did it is because they were trying to say to all of us fans who did not like the portrayal of Luke, um, old Luke in the new trilogy, they were trying to be like, we're sorry. Like, I know you didn't (laughs) like that here. You guys want to see. And first of all, that seems weak to me. Like, if you're going to say this is where Luke ended up, then don't backtrack on it. Um, the other big thing was the technology. Like I have seen deep fakes on YouTube so much more convincing than that. And it (laughs) took me right out. And again, normally I like, I can watch the never ending story now and be like, I can see the wires, but I don't care. And I couldn't do that with this scene. There was just this like, Oh no, Luke, you did. Oh. And it, look at him. Oh oh, no, you're ruining it. Yeah. Um, they didn't get the color, did the lighting right, the color treatment uh, of the light. It's, it's like, wrong. dude, like, I know you don't have an infinite amount of money like Marvel, but um, like, Jesus, like, why didn't you use deep fakes? Like, they couldn't. I swear they couldn't. I've seen people take the scenes from Rogue One where they had like a de-aged uh, Carrie Fisher and mm-hmm. they did that versus deep fake. And it's like the deep fake is Carrie Fisher. Like, totally. it's so good. Anyway, there's one last point. And this is the main thing that bugs me is I'm like, okay, you want me to buy into your story, right? So you're saying that the story is that Luke Skywalker ends up um, abandoning his Jedi temple, abandoning all the Jedi and going, fuck this, fuck the Jedi. I'm going to go live in a cave somewhere on a a place on a planet until I die. And that is the kind of end of that storyline. So giving baby Grogu to him is a bad story. Like there's no version of that that turns out good. If he goes with Luke, something bad's going to happen to him. Uh-huh. And, and I'm like, that that is the main reason that it bugs the crap out of me that they had is like, they they already told us where that story goes. So,
1: I don't How? know that he's there yet. Couldn't he just be like, oh, I sense a Jedi. He's still with the Jedi. Then he's still training and he's. Yeah, with of them, course. That's and much, much later. Jedi, and then-
0: yeah. He's old and has a beard at the time when he uh, when he att- attempts to murder Han Solo's child in his sleep, apparently. Yeah. Um, so but.
1: Krogh is probably fine for a while. So you think
0: he gets out before shit goes bad? Fine.
1: Probably, because he's already been trained. He's not going to start from the beginning.
0: There was... (laughs) It uh, it was like I felt like I missed out on a beautiful moment. A moment that I wish would have brought me to tears didn't. Now, Mm -hmm. so that I don't sit here and shit all over the show that I really love, I have to say... That I was very happy that I was sitting there going, Luke Skywalker, Uncanny Valley. um, And I didn't like it. And then fucking Mando takes his helmet off when he's looking at Baby Yoda. Right. And I immediately burst into tears again. And I was like, that was such an earned moment like they had to do something special because you're like this is it like the mandalorian show is not going to be the same grogu's leaving as right. far as we can tell like this is the end of a storyline so this has to be something significant and special how are they going to do it oh my god he's taking off his helmet and he's letting him see his face oh, my god. <laughs> i cried too oh, yeah so, and then they shift back to Luke's face, and he's all bur, bur, and I, and I yeah. am
1: in that computer,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know I, one one theory that was floating around the internet was that it was gonna be um um Samuel L. Jackson, oh, it, he played a character named Mace Windu in the old trilogy, and the idea of him showing up like old and grizzled. And yeah. like, and then you're just like, we don't know what happens. Like he goes off and they go off and then who knows. And with the Luke thing, I'm just like, ah, uh, I don't know. I, again, it it's cool crossover. And for some reason yeah. that just one, it was a bridge too far for me. Every yeah. other fan service thing they've done. I've been with them a hundred percent. And um, this one just. I couldn't quite take that step. Maybe if the special effects had blown me away, then I wouldn't have minded the story part. Or maybe if the story part hadn't bothered me, I would have been able to ignore the special effects. But for whatever reason, this one, it took me out of a show that I have been so into. Yeah. Well,
1: and it's an interesting choice too, to have, to, to wink at the fact that like you just put, Grogu on this like seeing stone and then a Jedi might sense him and things could happen. But what's interesting in the storytelling arc of um, of the story of the, the the Mandalorian is that you have now erased for the season finale you rela- erased all of the agency of all of the badasses who are in that ship. They don't find a way. Someone else comes, someone else who's not even part of any True. of the two-year arc. Yeah. comes and saves their ass and that's fine i guess it's not my story that i'm telling yeah they got
0: themselves they had- into an, a place that they couldn't well, that's called deus ex machina right like when when something shows up and rescues your characters randomly right um, and they they always say uh, i remember um pixar has a rule that says chance can get your characters into trouble but it can't get them out Right. Yeah. And yeah. Then they're like, if, ch- if something random happens and it gets them into trouble, that's fine. You can use that as a storytelling trope, but you can't just have some it has to be volition on their part. It has mm-hmm. to be some action they take that gets them out of it. Now, technically, putting him on the stone did draw Luke there, but they weren't counting on it. And and no. they really did get themselves into a dead end situation. And then Apparently. random chance saves them. So It's an
1: interesting way to end something that is specifically supposed to be this. And it makes sense that this other, like the whole thing is about trying to find someone to give him to. And that's the way that it actually does work to have this like random savior show up. And that's cool because they were trying to hand him over and find his people. And so, yay, they found his people. So it works out that way. It's also just a little weird that here you have you know, five or so badasses who can't
0: j- didn't find their way out of the situation. Yeah, and that's a little hard given that it, it is a weird custody. letdown. I again, I, I'm I wish that I enjoyed it more, and I also <laughs> feel like I'm having I I see a lot of like missteps that weren't there in the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly like I'm not saying the show is a freaking masterpiece. I'm saying the show is written for me and I'm like, I don't care that it's not a masterpiece. This show is, is I'm like, yep. 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 Check, 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 check. Okay. Thank you. I love it. Um, Yeah. And I just, it's, it was weird to have that experience of like, uh, 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 and and I'm so ready to jump back in again. I don't think they'll do it again, but it, it just felt like, the wrong choice for me personally. And I know other people didn't feel that way. Yeah. It was disappointing. It was disappointing in a show. And and I wanted to reflect that, that I had a hard time doing the enlightened couch potato process in that moment and letting myself sink into it and, and just go with the story. I was like, ah, but what about, and, and, and yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a skill, and it it's clearly <laughs> one I'm still trying to learn how to develop.
1: Oh, well, and that's why I was trying to ask for the like, okay, how can I jump in and allow myself to like take this in? Because because for me, both seasons, I didn't get. I was just very distracted, and I didn't. I couldn't drop in emotionally to like the endings, the last half of both seasons, the hmm. last of the first season and the last of the second season. Where finally, there's like, it's hard for me if there's no no emotions people aren't showing themselves on their face you've got a lead character who doesn't have a face Mm -hmm. at all (laughs) yeah and like wandering around alone doing some shit and i'm like there's weird animals and cool it's mountainy there's a planet i don't fucking care about anyone and that's hard for me
0: but you didn't care about baby yoda like i feel like that's why they they put him in there
1: once yoda's there i was like oh yoda's adorable that's great and then i'm like all this other shit happens yoda wants a pole yeah but that's like three seconds i found that the first scene that i really loved i don't know i think it's season two Mm -mm, no 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 it's the ending of season one there's this there's these two uh, i'm just gonna say troopers because i don't actually know their names Star Troopers.
0: Oh, when they're like she, they're joking like, back sing, and forth and stuff. You know who that is? Yeah, that like, was Jason blah, blah, blah. Sudeikis and yeah. um and another comedian. Um, that yeah. scene
1: of just waiting on those like floaty yeah, bikes. I
0: love that stuff. It's
1: the best fucking scene of the whole anything yeah. that happened. Yes, I cry at the end, but like I I actually like paused and started like cheering. I was like, oh, my God, something amazing just happened. Just I loved
0: that shit. those little moments give you so much more context for the whole universe, because you just imagine every stormtrooper you've ever seen <laughs> is having those conversations. <laughs> and then you're just like, Oh, um, <laughs> ow, there's so oh, wow. many things about the show that I love. And I wish uh, that I'd had time to talk about all that. I need to go. Okay. But, um, but I did, I did want to talk about the fact that, something I and maybe it's too much attachment maybe that's part of what creates that getting sucked out of it is sure. I cared too much and if I had just been like like lower your expectations with certain shows and <laughs> like you go into it and it's like oh that was cool yeah whatever and then you can really enjoy it and if I'm like like I want it to be a certain way and then it doesn't end up that way then I have a harder time just surrendering to what the storyteller wanted to do
1: yeah hmm I love that. Yeah. So TV deeply with lower expectations.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for hanging out and chatting with
0: me. Yeah, man. So uh, any um, assignments between now and next time? I was thinking we should both watch Die Hard and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is definitely, yes. I've seen Die Hard like 50 fucking times. I haven't seen it. 30 years i've seen it so many times but you watch that i'll watch kiss kiss bang bang because i that was the that was the christmas movie that i had forgotten and i know that faye has not seen it so it'll be perfect
1: hell yeah okay that's our assignment
0: great great i'll see you next week have a lovely christmas bye everybody